You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll meet you there in a moment by way of review. This is message number five in a six-part series entitled Help. And what we've been learning is we are absolutely helpless people without the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us that when he was leaving, it's better that he go away because he's going to give us a helper. It is to our advantage that Jesus goes away and now the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us who are spiritual people. Here's what we've been learning. We've been learning the Holy Spirit makes us alive. The most important thing the Holy Spirit does is grant spiritual life to spiritually dead people through spiritual birth. And now that we have spiritual life, we produce spiritual fruit. We've been learning the Holy Spirit not only makes me alive, the Holy Spirit makes me his home. Everyone who has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit now becomes the home of the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit makes me holy. And he begins to produce in me holiness through the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember last week when I squeezed that orange? What happens when a person gets squeezed? Whatever's on the inside comes out, right? Did anybody get squeezed this week? I'm just curious. Did anybody get squeezed? I see some painful looks on some of, some of the faces out there. You got squeezed. Well, what came out? Was it junky flesh or was it sweet? Was it pickle juice or was it orange juice, right? And so if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, what comes out when you get squeezed is holiness, holy fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, all of the easy messages on the Holy Spirit have now been preached. The degree of difficulty is increasing this morning. Here's what we're going to learn. The Holy Spirit, after as He's making me holy, the Holy Spirit begins to make me useful. And the way that he makes me useful is by imparting spiritual gifts. So here's the big idea of the message. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to spiritual people. Now, let me just do a disclaimer here at the beginning. There's a lot of people that attend Harvest that are just kind of kicking the tires, doing some window shopping. You're kind of evaluating whether or not you want to come in off the front porch and into the family room and make Harvest your home. Today, the message is for the church. I am talking to the church members of Harvest Bible Chapel. If you are a church member at Harvest Bible Chapel, you have given evidence that the Holy Spirit has made you alive the Holy Spirit has made you, is making you holy and that he is making you useful. And so I'm talking to the church today. How many church members out there? Let me see the church members. Hold up the hands of the church members. I see you. I see you. I want to see the whites of your eyes. Most of the church members sit on this side, interestingly, okay? And you just do some mission work to this side of the room next week, okay? So as we come as the church, let me say a word to those of you that are not members of Harvest Bible Chapel. We are so glad you're here. We hope you'll take the next step. Come and be a part of Making Harvest My Home. And we'd love to bring you into the church. But today you are welcome to eavesdrop on the pastor as he talks to his church. The shepherd's going to lead the sheep this morning, okay? I am talking to spiritual people about 
how God gives through the Holy Spirit spiritual gifts. Now, our home has been saturated with gifts. Every day I'm sitting there at my office, I have a view out a window and the sidewalk is there and every day I see the UPS truck shows up and a guy gets out with a brown package wearing a brown sh shirt, driving a brown truck and he drops off this package. Every day this is happening. The reason for that is my daughter, Brooke, who just led us in worship, she's getting married in about five weeks, unless I can talk him out of it. And uh, these, these gifts are showing up because they've registered at Target. And so nice people are doing nice things, giving them uh, these gifts. And so we've, we've been seeing a lot of gifts. Now, yesterday, <clears throat> this very interesting gift arrived. And it was a big package and Brooke dove into it, ripped the tape off of it. And it was a dustpan. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a nice dustpan. It was, it was better than any dustpan we had at the house. And, and Brooke, you know, it was happy that anybody would count her worthy of any gift, but you kind of look at it as like, I was hoping for the KitchenAid mixer, you know? <laughs> and so anyway, we are going to talk about being grateful for the gifts that God gives, okay? And we're going to dive into this subject and uh, take a long look at it here and understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin by reading the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me just tell you, I'm going to kind of skip along the surface of three different chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's all the same subject on spiritual gifts. We'll look at some of the verses, don't have time to cover all of it. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Can I just say, as your pastor, I don't want you to be uninformed either. So do you know what I'm doing right now? I'm informing you about spiritual gifts. And so as much as the Apostle Paul didn't want the Corinthians to be uninformed, I don't want you to be uninformed either. So I want you to look down here at verse 4. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a varieties of activities in the church, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. How many of you could use some empowerment this morning? Well, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does to spiritual people through spiritual gifts. Do you see the word there back up in verse one, spiritual gifts? The, the Greek word behind those two words is simply the word charismata. It's not a bad word. It just simply means gifts of grace. And so he wants us to be informed about these things. If you have been made alive by the Spirit of God, you have been given a gift by the Spirit of God. Every true believer has at least one spiritual gift. As a matter of fact, you look down at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you've been made alive, you've been given a gift. And if you are uninformed about your spiritual gift, you're, you're going to actually be dangerous in a way that's not good to the church. So let's define this, just kind of summarize. What is a spiritual gift? Let's give it this definition. A spiritual gift is a Holy Spirit empowered ability given to every believer for the purpose of building up the church. 
Now, if you are uninformed about spiritual gifts, you will not make the effort or expend the energy of building up the church. You'll sit on the sidelines while everybody else is working hard through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve you. I hope that's not you. If you're a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, hey, get off the sideline, get in the game. If you're not a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, we're glad you're here. We're here to serve you through the empowerment of the spiritual gift. Another thing that will happen when you are uninformed about the spiritual gifts is you might try to build up the church in the flesh. And that is dangerous. As a matter of fact, you'll actually do more harm than good serving in the flesh, disconnected from the power of the spirit. Now, let me just say as we begin this message, not everyone agrees on the use or the purpose or even the validity of spiritual gifts in the church today. As a matter of fact, my favorite pastors, my favorite theologians can't even agree what these spiritual gifts are. I don't even agree with the younger me on what spiritual gifts are or how they should be used in the church. So can I just this morning ask for a little grace, a little, little sympathy for the pastor here this morning? I am trying the best I can to grow in my understanding, to be informed by the scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit as to actually how these gifts operate in the church. So all in favor of a little grace for the pastor as he tries to deal with one of the hardest subjects in the Bible this morning. All right. So that's where we're going today. And let me just say this, that traditionally Christians and churches have aligned themselves into about three different groups in how we interpret the scripture on the spiritual gifts. The first group is what we will call extreme charismatics. Now, the word charismata is not a bad word. The word charismatic is not a bad word. It's simply the adjective that says we want to be empowered by the spiritual gifts. But this group, the extreme charismatics, they really focus a lot on the miraculous sign gifts, including gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge, speaking in tongues, divine healing. And they tend to drift away from the written objective word of God into subjective ecstatic experiences. Some extreme charismatics believe in the necessity of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit after conversion. Others would believe that speaking in tongues is actually the proof of salvation. And until you've spoken in tongues, you can't honestly claim that you've actually been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Others in this group would include, for lack of a better term, the word faith movement, name it, claim it. That teaching results in a prosperity gospel that teaches that God wants everybody to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Names in this category would include Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, and the majority of everybody you see on quote-unquote Christian television. They kind of own the Christian television market there. Those are the extreme charismatics. Now listen, there are people in the church today, and even people that raised their hands a few minutes ago, you, you've come from that background. 
and you, you feel right at home in harvest, but you feel most comfortable during the worship time. And I mean, there's all this energy and people are emoting and hands are in the air and you're like, yes, I love this church. And then you endure the preaching. So um, <laughs> welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. All right. Now there's a second group. The second group is what we would call cessationists. Cessationists are a group of believers that believes that the sign gifts, gifts of divine healing and prophecy and the gift of tongues, that those ceased in the age of the apostles and the completion of the Bible. Now, they believe that the gifts of healing and prophecy and tongues, yeah, that all happened because we can read it here in the scripture, the written record of what happened in the first century. They just don't believe that you should expect or desire those gifts to continue into the age of the church that we're now living in. And they defend this, a lot of them defend it based on actually what is written in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 7. If you're there, just flip the page and you can see it here in verse 7. They say, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. That's where we get the word cessationist from. The prophecies will cease. You see, it's right there. It says the prophecies are going to pass away. The tongues are going to cease. And for, for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so they would say, see right there, it says that this stuff's going to stop. And it tells us when it's going to stop. It says it's going to stop when the perfect comes. So the question is, what is the perfect? A lot of cessationists would say, well, it's very clear. It is the perfect written record of God's word. It's the canon. You see, when the apostles spoke, man, they wrote it down and now we have this complete record. And because we have our Bibles, we really don't need a revelation from prophecy or tongues and all these, these sign gifts because we have it here in the Holy Bible. The only problem with that is it's really bad hermeneutics, the study of what it actually says. Do you see the word perfect there in verse 10? That is not talking about the Word of God. That is talking about the coming of the Son of God. When Jesus comes back, of course tongues and prophecy and all these sign gifts are going to cease because he's going to make it all perfect. He is the perfect one and he's going to, he's going to put every, all the created order back in its proper place. So cessationists would believe there's no use, there's no expectation, you shouldn't desire the sign gifts. The leading proponent of this position is someone that we love and respect for his expositional teaching, it's, it's John MacArthur. And so um, he's in that camp. There's a third group. Oh, by the way, if you're from the cessationist crowd, you're loving this right now because we're talking about the words and what they mean and we're flipping through three chapters of scripture and you just endured the worship time to get to this part. That's where you're from. Now, most of us, I, I think, I, I'm looking out there, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, most of you, you kind of came out of that teaching. I, I came from that kind of a church. I was told more about what the Holy Spirit could no longer do than what the Holy Spirit actually could do. Is that kind of where you came from? Yeah, so you, you probably came out of that crowd. Well, there's a third group. And we would call that group continuationist. 
And this group would believe that all of the gifts that we see in Scripture continue until this day. And they should be desired and they should be at use in the church. But they must be practiced within the boundaries of Scripture. People representing this group are people that we would respect. John Piper, Wayne Grudem, Matt Chandler, and a host of others. This is a growing group of people. Now, in these three categories, we find people in our church. As a matter of fact, even on our pastoral team and our staff, we have people from all of the different backgrounds on our, on our staff. Pastor Nathan, our pastor of community, um, he actually graduated from Master's Seminary, John MacArthur School out in Southern California, and that would be a, a position representing the cessationists. Um, pastor Ben Hurt, pastor of soul care, um, and Pastor Jamie, that is our campus pastor up in St. Joseph, Michigan, they came from a sovereign grace church before they came to harvest. And that would be the continuationist position that believes all the gifts are still in operation today. And then um, we have actually the charismatic position represented. Our director of facilities, Lonnie Mullins, and his wife, Debbie, um, would represent this charismatic position. Lonnie was actually the pastor of a charismatic church before he came on staff with us. Now, of all the different staff members on staff at Harvest, who would you just suspect might be the most open to the energy and the power and the visible expression of the Holy Spirit? Who would you think that would probably be? Pastor Micah, of course. And actually, if you talk to Micah, you would find that he is actually the most skeptical and the most cynical. He's just one tick away from John MacArthur on this issue, okay? <laughs> he loves Jesus so much that he doesn't want Jesus to ever be faked in anywhere. So he's pretty skeptical of all that stuff. But um, we have, you say, well, how do you guys even get along on the church staff? I mean, you're probably fighting and fussing with this. We get along great. Now, I came from this cessationist background. I call myself recovering from my former cessationist Baptist background. I was taught in the church that I grew up in more about what the Holy Spirit could not do than what he actually could do. And so approaching this series and I put it off as long as I could. I, I was going to wrestle with the scripture and I was going to listen to God's spirit teach me on this issue. I've tried to read the scripture this week unfiltered through any lens of anything I've ever been taught. Just what does the scripture say? And I've got guys in every position that I know and love and respect so much so that I actually emailed one of them uh, this week. Mark Lance is the pastor of Christian Center here in the South Bend community. It's the largest charismatic church in our area. And Mark's a friend. I've prayed with Mark. Mark's actually been in our church to worship with us. And I respect Mark deeply. And I, we don't, I knew I wouldn't agree on everything, but I just said, hey, Mark, can we just get together? I'm, I'm kind of searching and, and I just really want to know what the scripture teaches on this issue. And I would love to hear your perspective and you know what? He emailed me back and this is what he said. He said, I would love the opportunity to meet and discuss these things. He said, I actually watched your message from April the 8th on the Holy Spirit. 
I'm on a journey myself, coming from the extreme charismatic side to a little more center on some things. And so I look forward to the conversation. So we met on Friday and we had a wonderful time just discussing what happens in our churches and how these gifts are applied and actually what the scripture teaches. And Mark and I still wouldn't agree on everything, but let me tell you about some things that he said that I totally agree with and some things that I said that he totally agreed with. One of the things he said to me, he's like, Trent, there is so much going on in church, in the name of the Holy Spirit, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. I said, I agree. And he said, I've watched people race up and down aisles, jump over pews, getting bopped on the head, slain in the spirit. And he said, to be honest with you, it is embarrassing. It creates so much confusion. And then when unbelievers walk in our service and they see all that, they think we're crazy and they won't actually listen to us actually just talk about the gospel. It becomes a hindrance to evangelism. I said, I agree. And he said, he said, I so long for the people in my church to stop seeking the gifts of the spirit and to start seeking the Holy Spirit. I said, me too. Like, aren't we supposed to hate each other? Aren't we like supposed to debate and talk bad about each other in each other's churches? And I found so much of what he said, I agreed with. And then do you know what I said to him? I said, you mentioned some things that embarrass you. Let me tell you some things that embarrass me about where I've come from. It's about how little attention we give to the Holy Spirit. I'm embarrassed by the fact that my people walk in and out of the doors of my church with no emotion, with no adoration, with no openness to the spirit, who sing songs about expecting the spirit to speak and show me your glory and yet do nothing in their own lives individually or collectively to cultivate the spirit of God. That's embarrassing to me. It's people who come to church and go through the motions of their religion in the flesh. And I told him, I am convinced there has been more damage done by people who neglect the gifts of the Spirit than people who abuse the gifts of the Spirit. And he said, me too. <laughs> wow, we agree on so much. And so we're both on this journey. And so as we've tried to study this passage, as we've tried to understand what the scripture says, let me just say to you this, I have found nothing in the scripture that would lead me to believe that the gifts of the spirit have ceased. Now, there are some things I see in the scripture that have ceased. It's the office of apostles. There were only a few of these apostles, about a dozen apostles who lived with Jesus. They observed the resurrection. They, and, and when they went out to, to plant the church and spread the gospel, they did miraculous things. They healed people on demand. I mean, they didn't even pray about it. They just walked up. It's like, get up and walk. And people got up and walked. That's a, that's a little different than what goes on today. Uh, when they spoke and they prophesied, 
somebody wrote it down like that's going to be in the Bible. And they, and what we have is a record of what they prophesied. Um, if you prophesy, we're not going to add that. That's not going to be an appendix to the Bible. Okay. So there's a little difference in what was happening with those dozen apostles and some of their friends and actually what is going on today. We see throughout the history of the biblical record, three seasons of intensified work of the Holy Spirit where all kinds of signs and wonders took place. The first era was with Moses during the Exodus. Remember all those miracles he did to bring them out of Egypt? And then there was a little bit of a fading and a diminished work of the Spirit. And then there was this heightened, accelerated work during the season of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Lots of miracles recorded there. And then it diminishes for a season, hundreds of years, until we get to Jesus and the apostles. And all of a sudden there's this explosion of miracles, signs, and wonders. And then there was a diminished role for this, the, the gifts and the sign gifts throughout the New Testament. But just because there's a diminished role doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect the Holy Spirit to do everything and anything He's already done in any previous age. And so we need to be open to the use of all of the gifts of the Spirit. And listen, this is a secondary issue. We should be mature enough to disagree about this and be able to worship together, lock arms together, and fulfill the Great Commission together. I may be totally wrong. We, you don't have to stop coming to church here, okay? This is, this is an open-handed issue. It's not the primary thing we're trying to do here. By God's grace, this issue will never be a point of division at Harvest. But I would say this, you probably come to this church because you love the Bible. It's our middle name. Do you know why I believe the gifts haven't ceased? Because our first pillar is believing in the authority of God's word without apology. That's why I believe the gifts haven't ceased. And if you love the Bible, you can't skip over the parts of the Bible that you don't really quite know what to do with. For a preacher that has given his life to bringing clarity to God's word, can I tell you how frustrated I've been this week? Dealing with the mysterious things of the spirit we need to allow for the mystery of the Spirit without losing our grip on the clarity of the Word of God. And so let's talk about what it means to embrace these spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you five things about spiritual gifts. Here's the first one. Spiritual gifts glorify God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 speak of these spiritual gifts, and he tells us the purpose of them. Each has been given a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace or gift. Same word, varied gifts. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever. Please understand, God does not give you spiritual gifts so you can make much of yourself. God gives you spiritual gifts so you can make much of Jesus. You don't use the gift on yourself. 
It is a matter of glorifying and magnifying the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection. It is to make much of his life and his teaching and his ministry, his exaltation. That's why God gives good gifts to spiritual people in the church. Number two, spiritual gifts build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, as a matter of fact, you can flip over to chapter 14 now. We'll stay there. In chapter 12, in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, since you are eager for the manifestation of the spirits. Are, are, you, are you eager for the manifestation of the spirit? By the way, have you ever noticed how much more spiritual you sound when you use a multisyllabic word? I mean, when I say the word manifestation, I just feel a little closer to the spirit. Try it. Let's all say it together. Manifestation. If you want to impress or intimidate your cessationist friends, use the word manifestation of the spirit sometime in your conversation. Now, the word manifestation just simply means display. It's, it's God on display. It is making God visible. God makes himself visible. He makes himself known. He authenticates, he's real through the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, if you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, that's what, I, that's what I desired when I came to church. I didn't come to church to see Micah. I didn't come to church to see you. I came to see the Spirit of God at work in you. And so he says, if that's your desire, if, that, if you're eager for that, strive to excel in building up the church now tell me that you're all spirit-filled and spirit-gifted. If you're sitting on the sidelines on Sunday morning, not building up the church. Don't tell me you're spirit-filled if you're not connected to the church. If I could just get everyone in our church filled with the spirit, do you know how that would reduce the counseling load on our soul care pastors? Do you know how that would accelerate ministry? Do you know how that would multiply leaders? Do you know how that would fulfill the mission of this church? If we could just get some manifestation of the spirit out of you coming from your spiritual gifts, the gifts aren't for you. They're to be used serving others. Let me disclose a secret about our family. This is risky, but I'll go ahead and do it. Many of you love us and have appreciated us. Some of you have even given us gifts from time to time. Thank you. But a lot of times what we do, we, we have a cabinet in the bedroom that is actually used to store gifts that are given to us for the purpose of re-gifting them. Are you familiar with this concept, re-gifting? Okay. Now, now, we're grateful for every gift, okay? And the best of the gifts we actually use. But some of the gifts actually go in the regifting cabinet so that when there is an opportunity to give a gift, we don't have to go to the store. We just go to the regifting cabinet and select a gift and send it on along. It's a very economical way to give a gift. Now, I want you to understand when it comes to spiritual gifts, you are not given spiritual gifts to use on yourself. You, every spiritual gift is to be re-gifted. You are just simply the cabinet 
The Holy Spirit sticks it in there. From time to time, he wants to take it out and use it to serve other people. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Here's the third thing. Spiritual gifts come in many varieties. I mean, it is like going to Urban Swirl, getting some Froyo. You can mix them. This is all kinds of stuff. All right. I see some amens and nodding heads going on out there. First Corinthians chapter 12 tells us about the varieties of gifts. We've already read it. It says now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, not for you, but for the good of others. There's all kinds of varieties of Gifts. Not everybody has the same gifts. I think I'm pretty self-aware of what my gifting is. And you're kind of seeing it right now. This is kind of the best use of me. Um, I, I've, this is whatever you, this is the best of me. Come off the platform. Just like, no, he's, that's not great. Um, but this is it. This is it. This is me operating in the power of the spirit. This is my gift. But I, not everybody's gifted like me. And aren't you grateful? I, and I am grateful. I need a variety of gifts around me. The smartest thing I do around here is just picking people that are different than me to come alongside of me to help me because people need to be gifted. The church needs people that are gifted in all kinds of different areas. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're told there's basically two categories of gifts. It says this, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Again, oracles. And don't you sound more spiritual when you use the word oracle? Or it, the principles of God, okay? Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Basically two categories of gifts. There are people that speak, they evangelize, they preach, they teach, they lead, they sing, and something comes out of their mouth that is a reflection of the truth of God. And then there's a whole other category of people that actually would have a heart attack if they were required to speak. But they love to serve. They love to burn calories for Jesus. They actually even love to serve people who speak. They're not, they don't mind having a background scene. They love serving in that area. It energizes them. They're motivated. Those are people who serve. And now you can kind of start to categorize who you are and how God's gifted you. Listen, every gift is needed in the church. There's about 20 different gifts listed in the New Testament. I don't believe that's an exhaustive list. I think there's a lot of gifts that, you know, aren't actually listed in Scripture. And by the way, I have found spiritual gift inventories to be absolutely useless. I, I've taken those. Every time I take one, I find out I'm gifted in a different way. When I was a teenager, I took my first spiritual gift inventory and it said that I have the gift of administration. Now, people that know me know that was a bad test. OK, I need people that are gifted in administration around me because I'm not gifted in that way. We need one another and we need to embrace the gifts that God has given us. Now, some of these gifts that God gives are very non-threatening. Gifts like service, gifts like giving, 
Gifts like hospitality. How many of you are grateful for people that have the gift of hospitality? Oh man, how many of you actually have the gift of hospitality? And, and you're going to have us over for barbecue um, sometimes. And we love these people. Like, man, let's, let's, let's celebrate those people. Some of the gifts are very non-threatening. However, there are some really weird gifts. And they make people weird. Now, listen. Um, Christians are weird in general. But some of us are gifted with weird. Okay. And, and we see a list of these gifts, things like the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing. What do you do with those gifts? Now, I was told that those gifts weren't given anymore. And so you shouldn't expect them. You shouldn't desire them. But this week, as I've studied the scripture Here's what I have found the scripture to say. Exactly the opposite of what I have been taught. Can I show it to you? First of all, we are told very explicitly in the scripture, do not quench the spirit. When the spirit wants to move, let him move. Let the spirit be the spirit. The reason we quench the spirit is because we want to maintain control. We're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of letting the spirit control. And so we quench. The word quench means to extinguish. Many times the, the spirit of God is referred to as a fire from God, a refining fire, a display of God's glory. And when we don't allow the spirit to have control, we extinguish that fire, the the empowering of the Spirit. So we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, do not quench the Spirit. It, it, could that be any more clear? The second thing that we're told, even in this same verse, do not despise prophecies, but test everything to hold fast to what is good. So that leads us to the question, what in the world is prophecy. The best definition that I found is actually found from an author, a pastor in Oklahoma City. His name is Sam Storms, and he said this. Prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. The speaking forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. Does that scare anybody? What, what do we mean by that? Oh, do you ever just, it's like, I sense the Lord wants me to do something. I sense the Lord wants me to stop doing something. He brings to mind a person that you love or a person in need. And you feel like, I, I need to go encourage that person. I need to go console that person. You know what that is? That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit that wants to communicate through you in a way that is non-authoritative, non-revelatory. We're not going to write that down in the Bible. In a way that would encourage someone to build them up, to pursue God. That's prophecy. 
Um, does that happen in our church? I think it happens all the time. I think it happens all the time and we never use the word prophecy. People come and encourage me all the time. There's times that people come up to me almost every week and they's like, how did you know? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, that part of the message where you like pointed me out. <laughs> I mean, you were looking right at me when you shared about that thing. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like using my gift here and I'm just like explaining the scripture. And I don't really think that my primary gift is prophecy. I just think that every now and then God just kind of shoots it through a gift right to somebody that's in need and they hear that and it spoke right to them. Does that happen in here? That's what we pray happens every time. It's every, it's, this is what I've given my life to. That God would quicken the hearts and the lives through his word. And so a gift of prophecy. I remember a few years ago, Andrew and I were uh, still traveling in life action. We've been to over 400 churches and we went to this church in Holland, Michigan. It was Lakeshore Vineyard Church. It's a charismatic church. We didn't go to a lot of charismatic churches in life action. So I was a little nervous and I'm like, it's going to get weird. I know it's going to get weird in here. It's like, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to lose it. I'm like, what am I going to do? If it starts getting out of control, how am I going to gain control? I was like, I had strategies and what I was going to say if somebody started bursting into tongues or something, you know, somebody just slain in the spirit. I was like, we're going to fix that quick because I can't lose control. And I got there and I was like, these people were so warm. They were so normal. They were so responsive to God's spirit and they were so word centered. Bible came out of them all the time as they were speaking. There were times they'd walk up to me and he's like, I just want to share a verse with you. I just want to share a verse with you. And they would just share a verse with me. I believe God put that verse on their heart for me. Toward the end of the meeting, I had a lot of great conversations with those people and the pastor. We talked about this issue. And, and in reality, we just found out, hey, we kind of believe the same thing. We just kind of use different terminology. Because I would, I would tell people, obey the spirit. I, I would say, you know, follow the Lord's leadership. Or I would say, the Lord's prompted me you know, say that. And he's like, yeah, we're talking the same language. This is exactly what we talk about. We just call that prophecy. Okay. He said, there's one guy in our church. His name is Phil. And he's really the guy in our church that, I mean, he's just obvious. He's got the gift of prophecy. Would you like to meet him? And I said, sure. So we had a great conversation and we were together for 10 days. At the end of that 10 days, Phil came up to me and, and it was just, we were shaking hands at the end of the evening, just like many of you do. And I was like, I thank you for your ministry here. And the Lord spoke to me through what you said and some changes I need to make in my life. Um, I, I feel like the Lord has something for you. What is, do I have your permission to tell you? He was so polite. And I said, sure. He said, I just feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you that you're going to have an expansive ministry. And the word radio keeps coming to my mind. I don't know what that means. I have, I just take it for what it's worth. I could be completely wrong. He was so humble about it. And you know what that did? That just encouraged me that it's like, just keep going. You may not see response today. It might be hard today, but it's not over, right? Well, about three months later, this was 2006, I got a phone call from um, Family Life inviting Andrew and I to become a part of the speaker team for these Weekend to Remember Marriage Conferences. Well, Family Life has a daily radio program that's heard all over the, the, the nation. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting connection. Um, that was 12 years ago. Well, here we are, 2018. Um, you showed up today. The, the ministry's a lot more expansive than it was then. Probably more people hear me through the live stream than actually ever hear me here. 
And, um, and I have a radio program that started about three years ago and it's heard here in South Bend. So, cool. But let me ask you, it's like, did, that did the prophecy change anything? Like, do I have a radio ministry because he said that? Would I still have a radio ministry if he didn't say that? Probably. But what, what did it do? It just, it just encouraged, it built up. And he was so humble about it. It, it. it was just so appropriate, which confirms what the purpose of the gift actually is. Look at this verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Oh, I was told I wasn't supposed to want that one. Oh yeah, that's the one you want. I want to get that one. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Does that scare anybody? How many of you like all in favor of upbuilding, encouragement and consolation? Well, then we need this gift operating in the church. And I believe it happens all the time when you sense the spirit. It's like he puts that person on your mind and he wants you to encourage them. Then go encourage them. We need that gift. Now, prophecies can need to be tested. How do you test prophecies? Number one, you ask, does it exalt Jesus Christ or does it exalt the person that's trying to prophesy? Does it build up the church to make it stronger? Does this prophecy um, align with the written word of God? Is it consistent with the word of God? By the way, when you're prophesying, it, you can never go wrong to share a scripture. You just never go wrong in that. Now, there, there are some boundaries because prophecy can be abused. Um, John Piper tells a story about a lady that walked up to him one day. She was a lawyer and she said at the time, um, John Piper's wife was pregnant with their third child. And this woman walked up to him and said, uh, and she was in tears. She, was, she said, I'm so sorry, I have to tell you this. But, but the Lord has put on my heart that your third child is going to be a girl and your wife is going to die in childbirth. And John Piper had the same reaction you just had. Awful. He went home. He got before the Lord. He's like, Lord, can I be honest? I despise that prophecy. What are you going to do? What are you trying to do? So they came time for the child to be born. Sure enough, it was a boy. And Mrs. Piper's doing fine. Now listen, um, if it does not build up, it does not encourage, and it does not console, you keep your mouth shut. And don't you ever walk up to me and say, the Lord told me to tell you. I will look at you and say, the Lord told me to tell you he didn't say that. <laughs> you come with a spirit of humility. You don't assume you know the mind of God. There's too much flesh wrapped up in all of us that we shouldn't test those spirits and understand how humble we need to be when sharing something like this. So do not despise prophecies. What happens when the gift of prophecy is properly working in a church? Let me show you what will happen. Again, back in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters. All in favor of unbelievers entering the church. All right, let's pray for that to happen. If they do enter, if prophecy is working properly, he will be convicted by all. 
He will be called into account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed so that falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All in favor of those things happening? Yes. So what are we saying if we say, yeah, prophecy, that didn't happen anymore? We're basically saying, yeah, we really can't expect sinners to be called into account. We really can't expect people that don't believe in God to start believing in God. We, we're really not interested in people worshiping God. Maybe the reason why that's not happening more often is because more of us are not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and using the gift of prophecy. Let's pray that that happens more often. So we're told, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Here's the third thing I found. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Really? Yeah, that one's there too. 1 Corinthians 14, at the end of the chapter, Paul says this, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, it's important where you find this. Again, you can look. It's at the end of three chapters informing us about spiritual gifts. And at the end of three chapters in how to properly exercise spiritual gifts, that's where Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Interestingly, that command follows about 20 verses where Paul puts such restriction on tongues, he does everything but forbid tongues. In verse 5, he says, tongues is not near as valuable as prophecy. Verse 9, he says, because nobody can understand it, it's useless as speaking into the air in a public worship service. In verse 19, he says he would rather speak five words in his mind with clarity than 10,000 words in a tongue. In verse 23, he says, tongues makes you look like you're out of your mind to an unbeliever. By the way, if you are new to church and you've seen some of those things, may I apologize on behalf of some of our crazy uncles in the faith. And if you are like, if that's your roadblock to hearing the gospel and trusting Jesus, if you just kind of set that aside for a little bit long enough to hear that Jesus died on a cross in your place as a substitute for your sin. And the most important thing for you to do right now is to repent and believe, not receive the gift of tongues, but to receive the gift of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ and let all that other stuff just kind of set aside until you begin to produce the fruit of the spirit, then you can talk about all the other stuff. And so he goes on in the list in verse 28, he says, tongues is not to be done ever in public without an interpreter because it does not build up the church because nobody can understand you. In verse, 20, in verse 33, he says, tongues creates confusion for everybody except the one that's speaking in tongues. In verse 38, he says, the one who refuses to submit to these restrictions is subject to church discipline. Then in verse 39, he says, now don't you forbid speaking in tongues? <laughs> yes, sir. And do you know why we're not going to forbid speaking in tongues? Because we are Bible people who can't skip over the parts that we don't like. So what in the world is tongues? I wish I knew. In Acts chapter 2, the apostles are preaching 
in their native language and people from every nation listening to them hears them in their own language. The Holy Spirit translates one language into another language. By the time we get to 1 Corinthians 12, it appears to be a private prayer language. And we read about that in verses 2 and 3. He says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men. It's not for the ears of others. It is for the ears of God. For no one can understand him but God. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. So do you know what he's saying? Basically, in private, knock yourself out. In public, find an interpreter that understands what you are saying and then find an elder who will discern if anybody else needs to hear it. That's it. And so for those reasons, we need to receive what God has given. Listen, if you believe that everyone should speak in tongues, Harvest is probably not the right church for you. If you believe no one ever has the gift of tongues, harvest is probably not the right church for you. If you can live within those two boundaries, you're going to feel right at home at Harvest Bible Chapel. And so we need to understand, number four, spiritual gifts are to be desired. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Those gifts need to be confirmed by spiritual leaders. You don't get all your desires. You may not get the gift that you want. And then the final thing is this. Spiritual gifts are to be governed. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbals. Have you noticed we really don't use gongs and, well, I guess we do use cymbals um, in the drums, but that's not all we use. And so it actually creates a distraction. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains and I don't have love, I am nothing. Do you know what he's saying? The greatest of these is love. Exercising a spiritual gift without pursuing love actually kills the ministry of the church. So there are restrictions. And then finally this. After all that is said, he says, let all things be done for building up. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace and all things should be done decently and in order. If you're here today and you've never received the gift of eternal life, you don't need to be concerned about any other gift. By faith, you repent of sin and trust Christ and he'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit and then he's going to make you useful in the church. All of the spiritual gifts are to exalt Jesus. So pursue them, desire them, deploy them for the purpose of building up encouragement, consolation, consolation, so that we can exalt Christ together. All right, I'm out of time. I want you guys to stand up. I want you to bow your heads. Nobody looking around. I just want you to respond here quickly to what God has said to you. Are you using your spiritual gift? Are you operating in the power of the Spirit? 
Are you trying to serve the Lord in the power of your flesh? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to spiritual people to help them fulfill the mission of the church. Father, I want to pray right now for my friends. Thank you for the giftedness in this room. Thank you for complimentary gifts, people that aren't like me, that serve their hearts out out of love for you. I pray that you would fill us with your power and we would walk out of here on assignment. And Lord, would you grant gifts that we can't explain by our own intellect, our own power, our own creativity. And Lord, we pray that a watching world would be captured by the supernatural power that is available through the Holy Spirit and through Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.